You're listening to The Joe Martino Show, a podcast dealing with all things emotional, relational, and human nature. Joe is a licensed counselor in the state of Michigan specializing in relationship therapy. He is also the author of the book, The Emotionally Secure Couple. All advice offered in this episode is offered for entertainment and educational purposes only. Enjoy the show. Hello, my name is Joe and I am your host. Welcome to The Joe Martino Show. I want to talk to you today about something that is an infection or a potential infection in almost every relationship that I encounter. Invariably, when I meet new couples uh, via the counseling room, they tell me, well, our problem is communication. And I want to touch on that for a minute, and then I want to get into four what I call emotional hazards that put uh, communication at risk, they put emotional security at risk, and therefore they put the relationship at risk. Okay, so let's start with the first part where I'll often push back when people tell me, well, we just need better communication. At this point, I'll often push back because communication is just a symptom of what's really going on in the relationship, right? If you have uh, two healthy people, maybe they don't have strategies to communicate, and certainly that's part of it, but often there's a deeper issue going on, and they're communicating out of this deeper, unresolved hurt. And so one of the things that I push on is for most couples, it's not that they don't know how to communicate. It's that they don't know how to stay in communication and they don't know how to deal with their own issues and communicate either out of those by by holding them in tension. In other words, realizing, hey, look, I have this broken piece or by doing the necessary steps to heal the broken piece so that they can then communicate out of health. This is important because you take our own brokenness, you take the blueprint system that our parents give us, right? Our parents blueprint us for how we're going to love people in our lives, especially our spouse and our children. And we run through that, and then suddenly what happens is we are engaged in a habitual pattern of poor communication, and we see the habitual pattern of poor communication as the problem, when in reality, it's the underlying issues. For instance, you know, as a metaphor, if you think about a car that won't start because it's out of gas, the fact that it won't start isn't actually the problem. It's the fact that it's out of gas. In order to solve the fact that the car won't start, you have to put gas in it. In order for couples to have good communication, they need to recognize the blueprint pattern that their parents gave them. For instance, if you grew up, if you're a guy and you grew up with a controlling, manipulative mother, you're more likely to be attracted to controlling, manipulative women and more likely to marry one. If you grew up with an emotionally distanced father and you're a female, you're more likely to be emotionally distant, as a, to, to be attracted to an emotionally distant man or to to marry a man that is needy and you can be emotionally distant from him so that you create a false sense of safety and security. As this runs, this this pattern of of reliving the blueprints that our parents put in front of us, the challenge becomes how do we move into safety and in a healthy way, right? And part of that is a healthy person is able to measure out unsafe patterns to look at unhealthy communication patterns and hold them in tension or abeyance so that they can move forward and talk in a, in a healthy way, right? If you think about it, uh, yesterday I went into the fridge here at the office, I grabbed a thing of yogurt, and its expiration date was in May of 2016. That's a long time, uh, and it's probably not healthy. So as I look at it, 
I need to avoid uh, eating that, right? I, I don't eat that. Right now on my desk, I just noticed as I'm looking around, there's a glass jar that I have that uh, somehow got broke. And it doesn't look like anybody was going to tell me. Um, uh, uh, right? So that's a danger. I have to be careful as I pick that up. And so healthy people have to be cognizant of and careful to be on the lookout for unhealthy patterns of communication. In my book, The Emotionally Secure Couple, uh, in chapter 12, I actually discuss these four emotional hazards with the reader. And I'd love for you to read the book, encourage you to pick it up. On page 161, the chapter starts and it talks about uh, what, what I call the four emotional hazards. And these are the broad strokes of conversations that tend to be unhealthy. All right, so the very first one is the negative feedback loop. This is where everything goes wrong. It doesn't matter what happens. It goes wrong. There's a fight, and everything that's said is met with sarcasm and cynicism. It is met with disdain. The three Ds are utilized, and it just spins nonstop, right? Part of what makes us human, one of the things that I wanted in this podcast was to talk about all the things that make us human. And one of the things that make us human is we are hardwired to avoid pain. And so as that pain comes, we are hardwired to avoid it. And one of the ways that we avoid it is we get caught in a negative feedback loop. I once knew a couple um, there at a conference that I was at, and they came up to talk to me, and they told me about how they had a very innocuous conversation at 11 in the morning. And he said something, and he and his wife both agreed that what he said on the surface was very innocuous. It wasn't very, uh, very like it wasn't him taking a swipe at her. It wasn't loud. It wasn't him yelling. He didn't call names. And they ended up arguing about everything from 11 that morning till 8 o'clock that night. Like literally everything. They went out to dinner for lunch. It was his birthday. Hey, can I get? I'm going to get a steak. And they argued about that. They argued about what the extras were. They argued about how much they're going to tip the server. They argued about where they were going afterwards. They argued about everything. Now, a lot of times, this is because we have this. This happens because we have unprocessed pain that we just don't know how to get out. Right. So let's look at an example. Let's say that John is feeling amorous. He and his wife Amy are on vacation to Indiana with family. Maybe they're at a, you know, they rent one of those houses where everybody shows up from all over the country. So siblings are there, grandparents are there, the kids are playing. Uh, they're in the, the, the house in, in their particular room and he's feeling amorous and he wants to uh, act on that amorous feeling. And she doesn't because what if somebody hears them or whatever her reasoning. And so now he's dealing with disappointment. But in that disappointment, there's actually shame and that shame doesn't get processed. So later somebody says, hey, let's go get ice cream. And Amy's like, yeah, let's go get ice cream. That'd be good. And John's like, oh, sure, we'll do what he wants or she wants. Oh, yeah, yeah, sure, ice cream. Right now, that's kind of a silly example. But I mean, I'm telling you, I've heard arguments like that sitting in my counseling room. Right In the negative feedback loop, everything goes wrong. Everything that is said is met with a derisive statement. There's cynicism. There's sarcasm. Let's say that Mark cheated on Rebecca. And so they're coming to counseling. And every time Mark starts to make a movement forward, Rebecca's like, oh, is that like your little slut that you fill in the rest of the sentence? 
right? Like what happens is, is they get caught and they haven't actually processed the pain. So they process it. It, it kind of leaks out like sun flares. They process it in very unhealthy, very sarcastic ways. That's negative feedback loop. Then we have mutual blame or finding the bad guy. When people are caught in this, and, and one of the things to remember about the four emotional hazards is they tend to run together, right? But when you're caught in the, the negative feedback loop, you, everything goes wrong. And as you, you'll often transition into finding the bad guy, it'll become statements like, don't you blame me for this? I wouldn't do this if you didn't do that. Uh, I, I'm only doing this because you're such a jerk. Well, I'm only such a jerk because you're such a fill in the cuss word. Right. And it runs back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And, and what happens is, is, is they go from everything's wrong to, well, everything's wrong and it's your fault. The problem is no longer that we're not communicating. The problem is no longer that we're not secure. The problem is no longer that we're not intimate. The problem is that you are the problem. At least that's what's expressed. And what happens is, is once we get caught in this, there's no place for the person to move that can help the couple move forward, right? And so what happens is, well, you're the problem. Well, what do I do with that? If, if you've ever saw the classic movie, that was said with a little bit of a grin, uh, Mrs. Doubtfire, the fight that they have after the birthday party is an amazing uh, illustration of mutual blame and finding the bad guy, right? They call each other names. Miranda says that somebody has to be the grown up, implying uh, not so subtly that Daniel isn't. Daniel says that she's uh, essentially an, an illegitimate mother. Um, and, and, and things just run sideways and they don't actually solve the problem, which is they both want the same things. They want to be able to manage their bills, they want to have uh, their kids have a good time and they're not finding the middle ground, right? So we go from negative feedback loop to mutual blame, finding the bad guy. From those two, then we go to hunting and running. Now, you'll probably have learned this as blowing up and shutting down. I don't actually like those definitions because I think that everybody, almost everybody, ends up a fighter at some point. They end up a hunter. Uh, and, and even the, the most ardent of runners will eventually dig in their heels and say, okay, we're, it's on, we're going to fight. And so what happens is uh, the other side of that is, is the hunter is not always the blower upper. Sometimes they're very calm. They're just sarcastic. Uh, I, I actually have worked with many couples where one of them was definitely the hunter and, and they were by and large, very calm, very calculating and very sarcastic. Right. And so the hunter, what happens is when they don't feel emotionally secure, maybe they realize they're caught in the negative feedback loop. They couldn't articulate that, but they know everything's going wrong. They feel like they're being blamed. They want to blame their spouse. So then they get sarcastic. Right. They, they, they use sarcasm. They use yelling. They use hurtful words. They ratchet up the intensity in order to cause the other person to react so that they will feel like there's some sort of emotional connection. This is the friend, if you've ever had a friend where they're dating someone and they're always fighting and you're like, hey, why are you guys even together? You're always fighting. And their response was, well, at least I know when we're fighting, we, we love each other. They were caught in a hunting and running cycle. That's, that's just part of this. The, the idea that we have to fight in order to feel connected. And so the hunter, they, they ratchet up the intensity. They use sarcasm. They, they yell. Maybe they... they they talk quietly, but in a very hurtful way. Where the runner, they just 
don't talk. Isn't that uncomfortable? In, in fact, when I do this in the room, when I'm teaching this in the, in the therapy room, uh, a lot of times I'll just stand there and just look at the couple. And I'll look at the whiteboard and I'll look at the couple and I won't say anything. Or I'll look away. I'll like furtively glance at them, which is something a runner will often do. And I'll get to 10 seconds and somebody will say something. They'll fill in the silence. Very, very rarely have I gone beyond 10 seconds. They just fill in the silence because it's so uncomfortable. And so what happens is when the, the, the hunter feels uncomfortable, they ratchet up the intensity, which causes the runner to feel uncomfortable. So they dial down the intensity. They withdraw, right, which is actually dialing up the intensity, which then causes the hunter to, to well, the hunter chooses to respond by dialing it up some more. And then the runner dials it up by withdrawing more. And it's back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And so what happens is now the couple's caught in this three-step dance of everything's going wrong, we're blaming each other, and we're increasing the intensity either by purposefully driving it up with our words, our volume, our sarcasm, our tone, or by, per by driving it up by withdrawing and just being silent. And so as we po ponder through this, we have to consider that these three things run seamlessly. They're, they're insidious, they're dangerous, they're hurtful, and they run seamlessly until we get to sitting out. And when we get to sitting out, this happens two different ways. First of all, in sitting out, what happens is we have the person who's just like, you know what, you're right. I don't care. I'm done fighting. You're right. Yep. I just refuse to talk anymore. You're right. You're right. Yep. Nope. You're right. Okay. We'll do that. Yep. Nope. You're right. You're right. Nope. Okay. We'll do that. We totally withdraw. The argument stops. The fight stops. The conflict stops, not because we solved anything, but because we totally shut down, we're just done. We've run out of energy. It's over. Blah, I'm done. And so as that spins, what happens is we run through the first three and then I'm done. But here's a problem. It's like it would be as though we got a broken bone and we didn't set it. We just stayed off it. We didn't set it. We didn't go to the doctors. We just lived with it broken. Because we refuse to go through the pain of setting it, we don't ever actually heal right. When I was a child, I think in sixth grade, I broke my leg. And I remember when the doctor was setting it, I was i mean, I was doing sit-ups. He grabbed my leg, and he was this cute little uh, man from... Cute's probably the wrong word. But he, he was this little man uh, who spoke uh, with a very dry sense of humor. And when, when I had had my appendix out earlier in the year, and when they wheeled me, and he's like, oh, my little buddy... You come back to see me again. And I was like, yeah, ha, ha, ha. And then, you know, they give me some medicine to numb the pain. And he's setting my bone, looking at the, the x-ray. And, I mean, I'm doing sit-ups. And he goes, oh, don't worry. I'm just pulling your leg. Ha, ha, ha. But, right, even with the humor, it didn't help. Now I look back. In fact, for years, not long after that, I started looking back and laughing at it uh, and, and really appreciated his services. But that pain was necessary in order for me to be healthy. Often, one of the things that we do when we're caught in these four emotional hazards is we refuse to go through the pain of engaging them in a way that is healthy, engaging our conflict in a way that is healthy. And so because we refuse to do that, the relationship actually carries a limp that is far greater than is necessary into the next conflict. 
And then what happens is over time, we get to the second sitting out. Remember, I told you it happens two ways. The first way is that we withdraw from the conflict. We withdraw from the conversation. We withdraw from the argument simply because we've run out of energy. But this, the second way that this happens is we withdraw from the relationship, period. Right. And so what happens here is the bills get paid. Kids get to school. You get to your religious uh, endeavors. You get to your community events. People see you around town, but you're not actually engaged. Fighting goes way down to zero because you have your hobbies, you have your life, and your spouse has their hobbies and their life. It's living divorced while being married. And this sitting out is the most difficult to come back from. You can do it. If you're sitting there today and you hear this and you're like, oh, that's us, you can come back from it. But you have to re-engage pain. You have to re-engage uh, discomfort. You have to re-engage hurt. Right? One of the problems that we face in this stage, I want you to think about this for a second. I want you to think about the word hurt. Right? Hurt that isn't processed leads to anger. Right? So I want you to write the word hurt down on a piece of paper in your mind. If you actually have paper, that'd be even better. Right? And then draw an arrow to the right. And then write the word anger. Draw a small arrow. And then write the word anger. So hurt that's unprocessed leads to anger. Anger that's unprocessed leads to rage. Rage that's unprocessed leads to bitterness. Bitterness that's unprocessed leads to apathy. And apathy that's unprocessed leads to contempt. If you're in the sitting out second stage, right? I'm just not engaged in the relationship. You're out in contempt. You're out in apathy. And the problem with that is when you try to go back to process the hurt, it's like there's this magical Stephen King dome force field that you hit somewhere between bitterness and rage. And it pushes you back out. It pushes you back out towards the pain. Uh, it pushes you back out towards the rage. It pushes you back out towards the apathy and the contempt. And what happens is people get to the place where it's easier to avoid going through the pain and the rage. And it's just living in the contempt is more comfortable for them. And so they check out and they sit out. This is not the same as letting something go for your emotions to cool down. Recently, my family was on vacation and my wife and my daughter were getting into an argument. We're riding around on a golf cart and my wife and my daughter were getting into an argument and somehow my wife pulled me into it and I feel it was unfair. And I felt my temper rise. And I said, wait, wait, what did I do, huh? And, and she said something. I'm like, I wasn't even there. Now, here's the thing. She was under stress. She was distressed. I was angry. Responding in my anger isn't always the wise decision. And so I just sat there and let it go, right? It burned out after two or three minutes, and I was good to go. I could move forward. Sitting out is not the same as letting something go. Sitting out is, is I just refuse to engage it. Letting something go is looking at it and saying, this isn't worth uh, damaging my relationship. This isn't going to be a problem in 10 minutes. This is a problem now because I'm hangry. Uh, if you don't know what hangry is, that's when you're angry because you're hungry. Uh, this, I'm angry right now because I'm tired, right? Like literally sitting here recording this, I'm tired. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I, we, had a, we had a great weekend this past weekend uh, camping, but I think maybe I stayed up too late reading and I got up a little too early too many days in a row. And I woke up this morning and I was just like, oh my goodness, I want to go back to sleep more. 
Right. So I have to be aware of that. And if my wife, no, she's not even here at the office with me, but if my wife were to do something that I reacted to, I need to ask myself, why am I reacting this way? And if I come down on the side of I'm reacting this way because I'm tired or because I'm hangry, then I need to let that go. That is not the same as sitting out. Sitting out is avoiding moving forward, and but carrying the pain and the anger with me forward. Right? That's a really important distinction. If you have any questions on that, please write in and let me know. Okay, so the four emotional hazards. Negative feedback loop, mutual blame, hunting and running, and sitting out. Those four things run. I've actually covered them a little bit in, in one other podcast. I want to really cover them today. And then next week, we're going to talk about how do we engage conversation that, br- that, that, that brings up the pain and the hurt that if it's on process leads to these things. In other words, how do we avoid these negative patterns, these emotional hazards, so that we can process the pain? Right. That'll be next Tuesday's podcast, which will be, uh, what's today? Well, this one's going to go up on the 19th. So that would be the 26th of June, almost halfway through the year completely. Amazing. All right. Thanks so much for listening. I hope that this helps you be on the lookout for the four emotional hazards in your relationship. Next week, we're going to look at how we combat these four emotional hazards, how we move the relationship forward in any conflict. If you have any questions, feel free to email me, info at joemartino.com, info at joemartino.com. Please put in the subject line podcast question. You can also reach me at joemartino.com forward slash podcast. Click on the contact me page. I appreciate that you take the time to listen to this. If you liked it, please feel free to share it with your friends. Thanks so much and have a good day. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's show, please share with a friend. Give us a rating on the iTunes store. And if you have a question for a future show, feel free to send us an email at info at joemartino.com. You can also go to joemartino.com and click on the Contact Me page. Until next time, remember, change possible.